Welcome to The Bible in Our Culture, an outreach radio ministry of Liberty Remnant Church, where we encourage you to view the culture through the lens of the Holy Bible. Welcome to The Bible in Our Culture. I'm Pastor Jay McPherson, and I'm here once again with Chris Knowlton, the founder and director of The Source. Uh, if you missed last week, you may want to find it on the podcast. You could probably find our show wherever you find podcast, the Bible and our culture. Last week, we talked about how the culture seems to be going insane in how uh, the state of Washington and probably other liberal states are treating young people. They've lost their minds. The Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And then it says again, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And as a society, if we lose our fear of the Lord, we lose our knowledge and wisdom. So we are in trouble. We talked about it last time. Chris, would you welcome our listeners? Uh, thank you, Jay, for having me on. It's a pleasure to be with you here today. So last time we were talking a bit about so-called gender-affirming care and how the state, how the organized uh, left have tried to silence those that I would define as common sense with children. Could you uh, kind of restate that again for our listeners? Yeah, I think uh, it's actually quite surprising that we're even having this conversation. Mm -hmm. I would have never have thought in all my years of working with youth um, that this would be a topic. Um, and so often, even though it's been a few years that it's been going on, um, I feel like this topic is, um, for a very simple term, it's stupid. It is a stupid, stupid topic. It's it's dumb that we're even talking about the ability for a person um, who's created by God, uh, who has a distinct chromosome pattern, to decide that they don't like that chromosome pattern, don't like the body anatomy that they've given, been given, and that they can change that. There's certain things in life we cannot change, and that happens to be one of them. And so it's always uh, it's it's interesting that we're in this spot. Um, but as believers and and uh, lovers of Jesus and um, those of us who I realize that we are created unique and created valuable, um, we have to be a voice against some of these things that are coming down the pipe. Um, because I believe that this is like a a divine time for us to be alive, to be able to speak truth into stupidity. Amen. So as I understand it, gender identity dysphoria was considered a mental order, a mental disorder, excuse me, and now it is being celebrated and even pushed. Yeah, and in the last, um, you know, there's uh, books of psychology out there. One of them is called the DMS-5, um, and the the print that was a few years back identified gender dysphoria um, as a mental health disorder that needed treatment. Um, it is one of the few... Uh, mental health disorders in that book that is actually celebrated and instead of being treated it is affirmed and wow. it is very very shocking to me and um, and I believe that the reason that is is because of the uh, unique ability that the left had to get this uh, classified in a place of of like a race or a uh, select people group who were being targeted, right? So making it so that people couldn't discriminate against them. So people who have a, a smart mind and say, hey, that might not be a good idea, their voices are silenced and a lot of people aren't even speaking out against it. Wow. So if a youth who's been abused, been neglected, suffered all sorts of trauma has challenges, you would expect them to have challenges about their identity and who they are. If they say, hey, I feel like I'm supposed to be a different gender, what are... What are the powers that be 
the people that you say are, are stupid, and I agree with you, what are they going to tell them? You know, it really boils down to who they're interacting with. There's there's good people out there that would would, would uh, um, give them good sound counsel, um, but there's also people that have an agenda. And the people with the agenda, if a child is experiencing, you know, thoughts regarding their sexuality and their gender, um, they will really support that and uh, push them push them in the direction um, to exploring their gender and coming up with whatever they feel like they want to be. A few years back, I was sitting in a training and they, uh, the presenter um, posted this picture and it's called the gender unicorn. If you're not familiar with the gender unicorn, I, I suggest you look it up. Um, and the gender unicorn basically looks like a, a cross between a unicorn and an elephant. Um, and it has all of these body parts that you can just pick um, to decide what you're going to be that day. And I remember the presenter saying that we should put this in on the fridge at home and let our kids just decide if my six-year-old decides today I want to be a boy, today I want to be non-binary, which means I don't know what I want to be today, um, we're just going to support that. And they can grab the clothes out that they feel like grabbing and, and dress however they want to dress. Um, and it, to me, when I was listening to that, well, I had, I had quite a few objections. And so I made mm-hmm. sure my voice was heard at that point in time. And it, you know, because it, it's, it's, it flies in the face of, of my belief system and of, of the whole belief in creation and, and God's authority over us to design his creation as he sees best. And then the, the human mind comes in and says, it's really basically the original sin of, of Satan when he said, I'm going to be like God and I'm going to decide. Mm-hmm. There's things in life we don't get to decide. And we have to be okay with that because we are a created being. We're not a an infinite creator. We are created. And so, um, so yeah, it's really where this is a category or a, a topic that believers have to be vocal. We have to stand for what's right outside of our own little family structure um, because our kids, all of your kids, uh, my children, my personal children, they all know about this topic because of our ability with technology. Yeah. Uh, any type of movie, their interaction with their peers. If you even limit your technology for your kids, they have peers that they interact with and they still know about the topic. And so we as believers, we can't pretend that it's not on our front doorstep. Um, We have to be active and, and, and making sure that we are making a difference in this category and standing for truth and standing for what's right and being loving at the same time because these people that are that are on the other side you know and the ones especially the kids that are struggling they need people that love them to come in and help and people that believe in them so that's kind of where where I'm at that's good i i think a lot of our listeners tuning in or might be thinking man this is just so hard to get my my head around you're saying that my kids who are teenagers might want to eat pizza and ice cream every meal every day. And we would not be good to allow the kids to make those decisions. Kids want to eat their boogers. Uh, Some kids want to do all these crazy things. We don't allow them to enter into a contract until they're 18. We don't allow them to get a tattoo because those are decisions that would make long-term effects on their life that they're not ready to make. But what I think I'm hearing you say then is a young child says, well, I know I've been a boy so far, but now I feel like being a girl that we're being pushed to force them to make, being pushed to allow them to make that decision they're not able to make. That's correct. And it's, it's shocking to me. There is a tried and true theory of, uh, it's called Erickson's theory of human development. And in that theory, uh, it talks about the different stages of human development at what uh, capacity at age, you know, typical uh, human development on the, on your brain's ability to make rational decisions. The typical 
um, development cycle at 25 years old is probably when you can finally make a good conscious decision. I made a lot of stupid decisions when I was young, yeah. tons of them Maybe without thinking about the consequences of them. Some of them were life threatening, almost died multiple times because of a decision that I thought was going to be cool, turned out to be extremely dangerous. And, um, so then we take that, we're skipping the whole developmental process for people saying, Hey, now you're 25. Now you can make a decent decision, but we're taking that all the way down and say, yo, you're nine years old and you don't like the gender you're in. Okay. Well, here, take this pill. That wow. is crazy to me because that child is not capable of making an informed decision. We have all of these limits. I can't get into a rated R movie if I'm under 17 years old. I don't drink till I'm 21. You know, I'll, don't drive a car till you're 16. You know, we have all of these decisions that require human development to be able to make the right decision. And for this category, um, it's not necessary. Just do whatever you want from a young age. Sounds like those rules were made when there was some sanity in our culture and now the the stupid, as you say, are, are making decisions for kids that are atrocious and horrific. So I, I'm, I'm hearing you, you're saying that a lot of people who have had hormone blockers or sex chain surgeries, they've come to regret it. Is that your understanding? Yes, there's, you know, I've been doing quite a bit of research in this regarding this topic, um, just to try to find out where the madness is coming from. There are, are lots of people. Um, there's a, a whole group out there that is like, uh, a detransition group. Um, there's gender regret surgery stories, a bunch of them. Um, there's some very prominent speakers currently out there, people a lot smarter than I am. Dr. Jordan Peterson's awesome. Uh, Dr. Jay Richards, awesome man. And then there's lots of kids out there that are that are sharing their story. It's really surprising when you even have groups like the LGBT community that they have a group called Gays Against Groomers mm -hmm. um, that is directly targeting in opposition to this whole movement saying, hey, leave kids alone. This is not they don't have the decision-making capacity to decide these things. We need to back off. Um, and it's just, it is so shocking to me how those voices are all, are all uh, silenced. They don't have the, the, the spread across social media. They get blocked often by the powers that be that are the fact checkers. They are, are censoring so much of the good information out there. And that's why we, as a, as a believing community, we have to get involved. We all have a sphere of influence, right? We have people that we know that others do not know, and we have the ability within our sphere of influence to make an impact. And if we don't need to be sitting there saying like, well, how can I do anything? I'm just a guy that, you know, I have a job at a, as an auto mechanic. Who am I? Well, you have a sphere of people that you can speak the truth to, that you can love on, and you have resources that you could contribute to other causes. Uh, one of the things that I love to do is to support causes that I believe in, you know, with my, with my uh, prayers, with my money, and just try to bring a biblical worldview to social services. We must have that. And if the believer stays silent, we're going to miss our time time, just as the German church missed their time in the, in the face of the Holocaust, just as the churches in the South missed their time during the civil rights movement, just as the churches in the South missed their time during the uh, civil war, people have a distinct time in history to act. And our timeline is now. We're the ones that are alive now. And I believe we have a biblical mandate and a moral mandate to stand against the, the works of the devil that we're seeing today in our, in our culture. Amen. Our guest today is Chris Knowlton, founder director of The Source. So it does seem like the building's on fire. Like, we can't believe this is happening. We should do something. Yet there's believers today that would say, well, we're, we're supposed to be submissive Christians. We should submit to the governing authorities. Whatever our state governor and state legislature says, we're just going to submit to them and everything. How would you respond to that from your perspective? I think the first thing I would tell you is read history. Read history. 
because that's been a lot of churches' perspective over the course of time. And as history continues to march on, we're all going to be judged by history. And now we can be kind and loving and supportive, but we also have a moral obligation to stand on principles that are right. It doesn't mean you have to be hostile. It doesn't mean you have to hurt people. It means you have to stand upon your convictions. The things you believe, people should know those things and be loving and kind. I don't have, I mean, I've worked with lots and lots of kids, probably 3,500 youth here in Spokane County um, over the course of my of my lifetime of, in my career. Um, and this is not church kids. These are kids that are from the juvenile court world, at risk, high school dropouts, kids like that. I don't have any kid that's ever complained about the, my approach to them. I always have a biblical worldview. I'm a moral person, but I'm loving and I'm kind. And my goal is to help people learn their value and their worth. And so in the in the process of this, the church has to stand up it has to stand up. This is our moment and the enemy's not going to quit. He's going to keep coming and and we could sit there and say, well, those aren't my kids. I don't need to worry about them, but they're going to be at your doorstep in no time. Because if we don't act now, it's going to be the same thing that the German church said, well, I'm not a Jew, so I'm not going to get too involved in it. Well, I'm not a gypsy, so I'm not going to get too involved in it. And little by little, they kept coming. And then pretty soon they were executing Christians. So I would think that the state, whether it be the state of Washington or some type of civil government is in, encroaching on our freedoms. And and many believers have said, well, you know, if we're just a, a, a good person, if we just quietly submit, then we're going to be able to win those people over. What should somebody, what should somebody do uh, if they're a believer and they're, they're hopefully uncomfortable by some of the things you're sharing with us today? Well, I hope you're uncomfortable because I'm uncomfortable in it. Come on. You know, um, this is, it's not always the easy road, but I cannot see a biblical example that the Lord would tell me, um, you're going to take the easy road in life. We are called as believers to do hard things. If not us, then who? You know, who, who's going to stand for what's right if it's not us? We are this generation that is around and the things that we do in our timeline matter. And so I would, I would argue that I'm here for a purpose. You are here for a purpose. Um, we need to figure out what that purpose is and not just put those little things on the shelf. Like if we have a vision or a dream for our life, like, you know, I want to be able to make a big difference, but that looks too hard for me. You just start with the small things. You start with your small sphere of influence that you have, your people group, maybe the teachers at your school that your kids attend. Um, if you're a young person, you start loving on other kids well. You understand who you, what your identity is and who you are created to be as a child of God and you share that and love on other people love conquers things you know mm. we have a whole chapter in the Bible on love and it talks about how love is so powerful that it is able to conquer things that are difficult and human beings the reason there's such an explosion in this group of gender dysphoria is because these children and these people are looking for a place to be loved and accepted and they're finding it in this community they're finding that they're praised that they're that they're uh, uh, celebrated and they're like this feels good being wow. this person and so where's the church the church should be the ones that's coming in saying you are celebrated you're praised you're welcome into our family one of the things when i became a believer is i couldn't believe the the warmth and the love that my church that i joined had for me mm. it was overwhelming i'm like these people genuinely care about me um, surprising because I never felt that in all my friends before in my life. And that is one of the things that we can do. We can show love. We can hold a biblical worldview and maintain a standard of righteousness. But we are also to draw people in that they can find their belonging in God's kingdom. And it'll answer a lot of the problems that they're having. 
So if I'm a I'm a parent, love Jesus, care about my country, but my 11-year-old child comes to me and says, hey, mom and dad, I feel like I'm trapped in the wrong body. How would you advise that parent? I would not take them to a secular counselor. They have this thing called, you know, basically it's a, uh, it's conversion therapy is what they call it, and it's illegal. Um, and it's where the therapists are, are bound by a law that says you're not allowed to do conversion therapy. So if someone is struggling with their sexual identity, is it against the law for them to try to be talked out of that? As, wow. a, as a parent, our job is to train up our children in the way they should go so that when they're old, they will not depart from it. We are mandated by God to raise up godly men and women to the best of our abilities. Now, parenting is the hardest job I've ever had. I thought I was really not selfish, great dude, you know, lover of Jesus, and then I started having kids. And I'm like, huh, I'm a total jerk. I'm really selfish. And it, and it has been quite challenging being a parent. And I have six children, three adopted, three biological, not counting the current 17 that are in my group homes, not counting all the kids that have already graduated from our program and not counting all the juvenile offenders I've worked with over the year, who many of them consider me a father figure. And parenting is tough. But one of our, uh, our we are mandated by God, um, our first mission field is our family. That is our top priority. I, I believe that we will be held very accountable. Like if I am a terrible dad and not a good husband, but I'm an excellent evangelist, I think I just lost a lot of, you know, accolades from heaven. You know, I think the Lord's gonna be like, hey, you didn't even do good in your own mission field of your family. That's mm -hmm. our top priority as our children. We are, we are supposed to do everything we can to raise up godly young men and women of God who have a heart for the Lord and desire to serve him all their days and to instill those values. Now, the Bible says to train up a child the way they go so when they're old, they won't depart from it. That is our responsibility as a parent. So if we have a child that is struggling with their sexual identity because it's so bombarded in the culture if they're getting exposed to to uh, to it on every end and we're kind of detached from them you're probably gonna have kids that struggle in some areas because if they just have a cell phone and they're able to scroll all day long without any parental supervision doing snapchat talking to whoever they want they are going to be bombarded with pornography wow. with the culture we have to do our best to train up our children and to train them up lovingly you know because we can't shelter them completely my job, what I believe my wife and I, what we feel is like, we're supposed to train up warriors. Um, the next generation is going to need leaders because if you've seen this generation, they are weak. Mm -hmm. they, they need safe rooms. They need quiet spaces. They need the little squishy balls every time something bad happens. Um, when I got hurt as a kid, I was told, suck it up and get up. Yeah. You know, that's what I was told, get up. Stand, you know, and now it's like, oh, are you, are you feeling this way because of your trauma? Um, we all have traumatic backgrounds. Um, I did not, you know, grow up unscathed from a lot of difficult things, um, but I had that perseverance and we need to equip our children with that perseverance and that godly character so that they can stand against the challenges that they're going to face. We're not the first generation that faces obstacles, but we want to be a generation that can stand in the face of adversity that we have in our generation. That's awesome. I hope, ladies and gentlemen, you're inspired by Chris Knowlton's Exhortation. I hope that you would join him. He's with The Source, and he's got a lot of insight on what's happening to troubled youth in our society. So, Chris, you inspire me, but I've been discouraged. We had the Bill 5599, which destroyed parents' rights, which made us pay for sex changes, all sorts of terrible things. And, and we had just a brief amount of time to get 200 signatures as a referendum to reject it. And we fell, um, we only got 195,000. We were 5,000 short. 
and so now we're hoping to win this in the in the legal battle. And so I, I'm encouraging our listeners to pray. How does 5599, if it if it continues, how is that going to affect your world and society? Well, I think that where I would start with 5599 is how does it affect um, the world of a parent? Teenagers can be troubling. I've had my fair share. I got a 20-year-old, a 19-year-old. I currently have two 15-year-olds, um, a 12-year-old, and a 9-year-old in my house. And I haven't had, I haven't gotten through the parenting process, uh, you know, worry-free. I've had my own personal challenges. And what I would say is that this bill, 5599, if it is, if it is followed, uh, this is Senate Bill 5599. There's a, a corresponding House bill with it. But if it is followed to the T and Let's just say my child decides they're upset with me and they're going to run away. Um, and so they've got their bags passed and they actually make it down to the youth shelter in Spokane. The person working at the youth shelter, if they feel it's up to their determination, the bill basically says, if they believe that I, I am a, that, that their parents are a threat to the child's well-being, that they no longer need to call the parent and say, hey, your child just showed up here at, uh, you know, for us in Spokane to be crosswalk, your child's down here at crosswalk, would you come get them? They're going to call the state, and all the child has to say is, my parent is not supporting my uh, gender conversion. Um, and then the state, according to this bill, will remove the, the child from the parent's care um, until they can work through the process. And if you get the wrong social workers, the wrong CPS person, um, your child will be gone. And you will have no control over that because you were um, interfering with their gender identity, which is a protected people group. And so, and you could say, well, good thing my kids aren't like that. Um, and that goes right back to our, our earlier mention of the churches have done that many, many times. People have done that many, many times throughout history. And they have ended up on the wrong side of history because they wouldn't make a stand um, because they felt, oh, this doesn't affect me directly. And then it gets to the point where you can no longer stop some of the stuff. Um, and so we have to get involved. We have to be vocal. Um, and we have to approach our legislators, right? I have never been a political person. I've spent my career, what I like to say, in the trenches with the kids. I love working with teens. I would rather be mowing lawns with some some troubled teenagers than uh, sitting before legislation. But in my life where it's gone now is that that's where I need to be because I, if I can convince more people that this is necessary and we have to be vocal, um, I'll have a bigger impact than just on the direct kids that I've been working with over the course of my life. And so I've kind of handed off parts of that to other people that work with me. And my job now is to try to train and equip as many people as I can to make a difference. Wow. So inspiring. we got about three minutes left. After the referendum 101 failed, I mentioned it to some Christians. They're like, oh yeah, I heard it failed. I never knew anything about the referendum. And I wanted to say, well, where do you go to church? Do you go to church? You, you say you love Jesus, but you don't know about referendum 101 to overturn this horrific bill. I'm hoping that this failure would awaken the church. Do you see that happening in, in your circles? I think in, in select circles, yes. Um, in other circles, no. You know, and I think that what we need to do, we need, we need to pray for our leaders, um, that there is a boldness that comes over them and that the Lord would just open up people's eyes through their own study and that they would see their need to be involved. I think uh, we spent so many years in the um, you know, prosperity gospel style 
where the Lord is just out to bless us, make us financially prosperous, make me comfortable, um, which I don't see that. Like I, I go to foreign nations and I roll in on churches in Malawi, Africa, that they love the Lord, but they are suffering severely. They don't have food. They have illnesses, um, but they, so what makes God a respecter of persons, right? So I'm in America. I'm super blessed. I have money. I got resources at my disposal. Um, and I should be using those resources for God's kingdom and, and making a stand for what's right. Um, and so I would encourage those of you listening, if you're in a church that, you know, would be speaking something that's far opposite of this, that you start using your influence in your own personal church to get the word out. Have a meeting with your pastor. Start talking to them about, hey, where's our church heading? What are our priorities as a church? Um, and, and instead of like, oh, I'm abandoning this church right away. I'm going to go somewhere that has my belief systems is what impact can you make in that church that you're in? Because if you can, if you can start getting some of these principles out amongst your amongst your peer group and your your fellow believers in your church community, you're going to have a far bigger impact than just going to a, a different church that has a whole different viewpoint or you know your specific viewpoint. Because we need people to wake up. You know, we don't want to wait till it's too late for them to wake up. But we have to push back, and we got to wake up, and we got to hold. I would say hold the states accountable. You know what's happening to all these kids in care. Um, there's there's a whole other topic I can get to regarding kids kids missing from care, sexually exploited youth. There's a whole area there that we should be involved in. Um, but anyways, I would just encourage you to start with your small sphere of influence and start speaking the truth and and pointing people to resources which we can provide um, if you guys are interested in that. Wow, the Bible and our culture. We see a Bible full of God intervene when people take a stand. If we stand up, speak up, show up in faith, we can see God totally turn around our society and our culture. He's done it throughout American history, and he's done it in Scripture. The Holy Bible tells of David defeating Goliath and other exploits of David and his mighty men. Not fairy tales. Sometimes we... We kind of equate these Bible stories as fairy tales. No, they were written as examples for us on how we can live. We see Gideon taking on two and a half armies with the people that, the warriors that God whittled down to just 300 so that God would receive the glory. I tell you, if you're about God's glory, if you're about advancing his kingdom in humility, as, as worship unto him, God is ready to move on our behalf. We need it. We need it desperately in this hour. We're we're going to have to suffer some persecution. We're going to have to have people hate us, but we have got to take a stand. And I pray that you would do that. I pray that you would listen to the voice of the Lord and find where God wants you to serve and battle in this hour. Hope you catch us next time on The Bible and Our Culture. This has been an outreach ministry of Liberty Remnant Church. I'm Pastor Jay McPherson. Catch you this time next week. Thank you for listening to The Bible in Our Culture, an outreach radio ministry of Liberty Remnant Church. If you want to support this ministry financially, you could do so by going to our website, libertyremnantchurch.org backslash give, and select radio ministry. See you next week at the same time.